Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, and there's one thing that must have become clear if you've read Steve Keen's book or read his articles or his blogs or you've listened to this podcast so far, and that's about the role of government in creating money and why private debt is so much worse than public debt. Private debt is a liability that can reduce spending, whereas public debt can be alleviated by the government creating more money through its central bank, which is in effect pumping new money into the economy. But how effective that government money is in creating uh, growth and wealth for the people of a country surely depends on how it's used. Well, obviously it depends on how it's used, but are some uses of greater benefit than others? And should it become a focus of government policy? If it's used on infrastructure, then you'd hope you'd see an improvement in productivity. If it's simply used to pay government employees more, won't that just add to inflation? Well, Professor Steve Keane is here with us again. Uh, Steve, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of talk at the moment here in the UK about the National Health Service being at crisis levels. But if the government spends more on the NHS, would that be as effective for the economy as uh, as building new infrastructure, for example? Well, I think I'd actually rather both of those than spending money on more bureaucrats deciding whether whether academics teach at gold, silver or bronze universities, which is a sort of... A, yeah, so certainly there is a case the government's got a massive capacity to waste money on crap. And a right. lot of that crap, unfortunately, as it happens, in, in certainly in England's case, is is there because they're trying to make the world look like a, like a first-year economics textbook. And that's that's got to be the greatest waste of money you can ever possibly imagine. Right. Um, so there are, there's certainly an issue of how the government spends its money and certainly one of the most important examples, and the National Health Service is one of those, is that the government spending on public health is a major reason why England is now a wealthy country in which one doesn't get cholera outbreaks anymore. And I'm using that as a specific example because I was talking with my students yesterday to explain uh, why Marx had the attitudes he had towards capitalism and said uh, Jenny and, and Carl moved from Chelsea uh, to another house at one stage. Why do you think that was? And nobody guessed that it was because there was a cholera outbreak in Chelsea. Mm. Now, of course, government spending to you know, be locked in, to process the waste from sewers to not pump it back into the water supply of the Thames, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that is one reason why England is a relatively wealthy country today. So government spending to provide infrastructure, government spending for public health, these are all things which everybody benefits from. You and I would know the example from Australia, of course, of, uh, of Kerry Packer, Australia's wealthiest man at the time, who died uh, while playing polo one day and only was brought back to life, after which he said he'd see absolutely nothing, so he no longer believed in God after the experience. Uh, brought back to life because the, 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 um, the ambulance that came to, to uh, treat him had a defibrillator yeah. and whacked it on him. And about a minute after he died, the, the defibrillator brought him back to life again. And he then was asked, well, you must all have this inside your um, your uh, ambulances. And the guy said, no, mate, we're just lucky you had one of them that had them. Most of them haven't got it. So Kerry Packer, and this is to do his infinite credit here, 
uh, paid to have a defibrillator put in every ambulance in Australia. Yeah. Now, that's the sort of thing which you which you have to do at the state level because heart attacks don't work out whether you're wealthy or rich, wealthy or poor before they hit you. Uh, neither do car accidents. Uh, all these things are things which uh, you have to. If the, you are better off if you provide it at the national level, and the government is the way to go about doing that. Well, see, with so the interesting thing, isn't it, that uh, in the United States, where obviously they don't have a, uh, a national health service, and Obamacare is almost certainly going to be uh, pulled apart. Uh, so you know, returning to that situation where it, uh, it it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, so long as you're rich, uh, you can be mm. guaranteed good health care. Uh, the spending on health care in the United States is way more than it is per person in the UK and yet life expectancy and all the basic health measures are, are, are pretty much the same so they're spending a lot more well, money actually, to do something that's actually worse they're worse they're actually yeah. worse yeah I, th- I think I think I'm, I'm not sure of the exact figures but I think spending per capita on healthcare in America is about three times the level yeah. that applies in countries like England or Canada or Australia that have a, a form of, of national health provision and you can go too far in that distance as well I know people on talk about in Canada that there's such a degree of focus upon state delivery only that you if you get a, a wonky knee you end up going to america to get it operated upon so you i think in that sense australia's old medicare system which hasn't been completely destroyed by all the market meddling that the uh, conservatives have done there over the years that basic system if you pay at 80 percent and 80 percent pay or 85 percent paid by the state you pay the other 15 percent uh that sort of thing and if you want to you can go and pay for private insurance and get something ahead of schedule uh, so there's a mix of private and public provision. That that yin and yang seems to work far better than either the total free market madness of America uh, versus the t- total rigidity in, in other senses of sometimes of places like Canada and England as to where you actually get a get a service provided. Right. But getting back to my original question, though, if yeah. you've got uh, if you've got government money and you want to spend it on something, presumably uh, top of the list is going to be projects where you are going to improve future productivity for the country because ultimately what you want for your economy is for you to have uh, uh, you know an advantageous position in terms of balance of trade so the more you can do uh, effectively against your competitors being other countries around the world the better so if the government's spending money you want it to be spending money on that goal don't you yeah that's a large fact i mean mariana masakuto is really the expert on this whole issue of how what the state should send its money on has a book called the entrepreneurial state and what she argues is that uh, the, the, a large amount of innovation we take for granted and think came from the private sector like me most most parts of the iphone for example were in fact paid for by by government spending mm. uh, government research projects of various sorts like even even uh, wi-fi is as you and i know coming from australia wi-fi was an invention of the commonwealth scientific and industrial research organization not the entire system, but a very a crucial part of Wi-Fi was invented by some boffins back when they had boffins in the CSIRO before they privatised the, the place to death. And what I, my perspective here is actually a mix of, again, mix of private and public, uh, because two of the most important books on, on where does entrepreneurial behaviour come from are Mariana Mazzucuto's The Entrepreneurial State and Bill Janeway's Doing, in, Doing Capitalism in the Innovation Economy. Uh, Janeway is... Uh, is uh, quite actually he's he's a very non-orthodox economist he actually did his phd under nikki caldor so he's not at all the mainstream thinker but while he's doing his phd at cambridge he was approached by uh, i don't know quite know how this happened i think he details it in, in the book in some part which i've forgotten but he was approached to go and work for a, for a venture capital firm in america and i think ended up funding compaq if you remember compaq yeah. which is the okay no, so he then made a four, 
he made a fortune out of out of that. He's now quite a wealthy man. He put twenty five million dollars into George Soros's INET once a meeting I attended. Um, so his argument is that entrepreneurs will attempt to innovate you know, in wildly uh, new ways if they perceive an, perceive an enormous capital gain. So he said they, they, they will innovate to two reasons. One, they see the gain there, and two, they've got money they can waste. Things can go wrong, uh, but they've, they've got enough money that they, they can waste it on nine projects. The tenth one works, and bang, they make a fortune out of that. So that's that's the the need to have the capacity to waste effectively as a foundation of being able to innovate. At the other extreme, Mariana says that well, the states equally got that capacity, so there was no commercial advantage to going to the moon. But America could decide to go to the moon to fight, to fight in a symbolic sense, fight the Russians. Then God, they did that rather than dropping bombs on each other. Uh, but that that meant that the state, by not not having to count its pennies as we do if, if we're ordinary households or ordinary firms, uh, that state can afford to waste money, make some mistakes, but through making the mistakes, you innovate. And a combination of the two are what we need. So I'd like to see a state that does much more provision of those basic services and gets away from the austerity fetish that, uh, that, that has been drummed into, this, into most countries courtesy of Thatcher and mainstream economics. Uh, so spend because you need to spend and you don't have any, any limits on your spending capability when you issue your own currency. And then spend that on both infrastructure, public public provision of services that should be public, uh, and also throwing money at innovation. Right. But how, through all of that, how do you make sure, because uh, you're almost talking about an open checkbook there, and that, that creates the problem, doesn't it, where you have people who then uh, embark on projects that have just no hope of ever, ever succeeding. You know, there's no glimmer of light. Well, you, but- never, you, never, you never really know, and this is one thing that really, I mean, pardon me for a pardon the French, pisses me off about the attempt to make sure the government spends its money wisely, because when you look at, speaking as an ac- academic, the amount of money that goes into monitoring whether or not academics are actually uh, putting together sensible research projects uh, completely fails the test of working out whether people are going to innovate or not. Mm. Because uh, imagine if Einstein had to apply for research funding to work out E equals MC squared. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he would have applied, and all these uh, Newtonian economists said, what nonsense, of course that's uh, that's just uh, not going to work. There's no point wasting our money on this crazy notion that you can turn matter into energy. Uh, and equally, I uh, imagine having uh, Galileo having to apply for funding to uh, check and see whether, in fact, the Earth was not the centre of the universe, maybe it's the Sun. No way. What a total waste of money that would be. Um, so you simply have to accept that some waste is an essential part of a healthy, functioning, growing capitalist economy. Right. But you also want to ensure in operational. So, so there's a difference, isn't there, between uh, a scientist, for example, who's working on something, that, you know, an innovation or, or a discovery versus an operating system. So let's go back to, you know, which might be might have elements of inefficiency in it. And you want to strive to try and improve that. So let's go back to the National Health Service. Uh, and you gave the example of Medicare, which I think probably does, you know, is, is a system that uh, the UK should be looking at very closely because clearly there's people that, you know, that there's money being wasted. For example, people who are uh, going to get uh, aspirin or um, uh, um, or uh, headache tablets on prescription when they can buy them over the shelf in, in shops and it's costing the National Health Service more to do that. You know, you hear crazy stuff like that. If, mm-hmm. if, if it's an open checkbook, where's, where's the... Uh, Where's the opportunity for for efficiency going to come from? Because people are just going to go, oh, we need more money. And how long does that go on for? 
Yeah, well, you know, there has to be certain balance, but I think the whole fetish that mainstream economics has about efficiency has pushed us far too far in the monitoring to make sure we're efficient process. And frankly, when you do that in a bureaucratic fashion, first of all, you create what David Graeber uh, wonderfully titled bullshit jobs where people spend their time doing stuff which, in fact, they didn't do at the world to be a better place. Yeah. Uh, and then you waste more money monitoring to make sure money is spent well than you'd spend than you'd, you'd spend if you actually said, let's throw a lot at you and put a limit on it. I mean, I'll give you my own, again, academia is a classic place where you see this thing happening. Uh, I have applied, when I was in Australia, I applied for nine consecutive Australian Research Council grants to extend my work on Minsky's financial instability hypothesis which I think in the aftermath of the financial crisis, most people think maybe, mm. maybe I should have got the money. Okay, I was turned down nine times, okay? Including once when I topped my university. I, I, there, was, there were seven, uh, we, the, the, the Australian Research Council made the mistake of publishing the point scores. And on that point score, there were seven people at my university who got over the threshold in the first round, and I was number one of those seven. When the results came out, six were successful. I was not one of them. Now, uh, so in other words, what I was trying to do basically with those nine attempts to get a research grant, I was trying to get just time so I could actually work on the theory and it needed some hardware as well for some high level mathematical modelling, but mainly it was just time. I spent two months in each of those applications. I wasted one and a half years. If I hadn't bothered applying for the money, I would have had one and a half years more research time, which is what I was after. Yeah. So you end up getting all this, you're just pushed into a bullshit circle. And, 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 and then the competitive grants for universities are you know, a classic waste of money because 10 academics will compete, one will get it, the other nine have wasted their time. And you're trying to evaluate whether somebody's got a new idea by feeding it off to other people who don't have the same new idea and think, this is, do you think this is a good idea? Uh, and then there are bureaucrats doing all the marking and you think, oh my God, do you want to waste? Yeah, that's really waste. That's creating bullshit jobs. Um, for generating money, spend it at the economy. It's part of where the, the turnover of cash comes from. But you'd be far better if you said just gave all the academics a sixth amount of money, maybe try to put some sort of you know, computer-based metric on how many publications you get or something of that nature. But get the hell out of there and stop trying to measure. And unfortunately, there's a tendency in bureaucratic systems to get obsessed with measurement and avoiding waste and avoiding making mistakes. And the cost of avoiding making mistakes totally overwhelms the creativity you're trying to generate in the process. Well, I mean, those measures are often the wrong measures as well. And so you uh, so you change behavior and distort behavior in a destructive way because people are trying to meet the uh, meet the measures rather than, you know, education's a good example yeah. of that, isn't it? Where we are striving for exams uh, so that everybody thinks the same as each other. Well, and, and, and even on top of that, but just looking at what's coming in England in the next couple of years, um, because they, they tried to force a market system by raising prices for students to 9,000 quid, believing that universities would charge differential prices, which, of course, they didn't, because the differential price is my car's cheaper car than your car, uh, and you've got to pay this amount of money, why don't you go buy the expensive car? Uh, that failed completely. Now they're trying to force universities to charge different fees by having what they call gold, silver and bronze ratings for teaching quality. However, they're doing that at the actual level of an entire university. Now, the way, of course, the university is going to try to get the boxes ticked in their favour is to put a huge bureaucracy in place to try to tick the boxes correctly. And where are they are going to find the money? Let's take it from frontline teaching. So there'll be less money for teaching to try to improve teaching. Right. That, that's the sort of thing where the obsession with avoiding waste actually generates it. And again, this is the obliquity thing. Don't do it directly. Uh, I'll accept that some of that's going to happen and get rid of the monitoring, but still spend the money. But get it to the creative and get it to the infrastructure providing elements, not all the crazy monitoring and, you know, sniffing the ham to make sure the ham is okay and then having to throw out the ham because too many people sniffed it. 
Right. We often hear people talking about running a country like they, you know, like like you run a business, and uh, and, it, and it, you know, it, it's a mistake to think like that. Obviously, because a business doesn't have to provide health for people; it doesn't have to employ everybody. I mean, there's loads of reasons why that's a, why thinking like that's a nonsense. Except, of course, you know, as I said before. Isn't the end game for an economy that you want to have a, a good balance of trade, a positive balance of trade? You want to be competitive in the in in the rest of the world. So all of the things that you've been talking about are elements that would be the, the focus for all of those. So you have got an end game, haven't you? You'd be saying, well, for all of these things, for for the research that's being done in universities, for the maintenance of the education system and health and all of those uh, important elements of society, the whole benefit of that is that we have productive people who are going to help our balance of trade. That That's the end result, isn't it? Well, that's partly, I'm going to go a bit beyond that. I want to see us uh, getting production off planet in the next century. And we're not going to do that if we spend our time measuring it. We, we're going to do it instead if we um, do the sort of measurement Elon Musk has to do to make sure all the rockets fire evenly. Right. Um, so, yeah. Now, you're starting I, to lose I, me now. Why do we want to do that? Get off the planet? Yeah. That's, that's a topic. That's <laughs> you're ever, that's you're another, sounding another, off the planet. Well, it is. It's a discussion for another day, I guess. It's so, a discussion for another day. But but I, I, what 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 we need is is to to see, and that's where Mariana Mazzucato's work is so important, to see the state as providing a framework that leads to us bringing out the best of the element of human uh, the human species, and that is our capacity to innovate and to build on the work that others have done. Right. Okay. Back to... Pure economics, which I, I I know there's no such thing as pure economics. It's all just a muddled mess, isn't it? But um, uh, the way economists would see it, I guess, if you were paying a whole load of people uh, already in a job, for example, if you put more money into the National Health Service, uh, there's every likelihood that uh, more people are going to get paid, be- uh, paid more because they're saying I'm not getting paid enough, and that's part of the problem. Uh, mm. And everybody is going to have their hand out for more cash. That's going to create inflation, and that's not going to help productivity, is it? Well, it's better than deflation. Yeah, that's and true, too. We just put this back in the track. We've, we've been trying so hard to avoid inflation. We've now got deflation, and uh, that is far more destructive. So, yeah, there's, the, the price level is not sacrosanct. So there's, um, the Austrians have got a point about uh, uh, the you know, economists not knowing what the relative prices should be and, and causing chaos by by um, boosting demand too much, but that's actually done more by the banks than it is by the government in the first place. So, um, so we have a, lo- a lot of complex issues there. Nothing, nothing is straightforward, and capitalism is never going to be stable. This is one of the, the hang-ups we have right now that we try to get a system which is inherently unstable and make it stable as our objective. And our attempts to do that have made it more unstable. So put up with a bit of this stuff. And, and, and the mm. hard thing, of course, is we lose our perspective over time. So if you go back to the 1960s and 70s, for example, the argument was that the uh, with the railways uh, were a subsidised element and, and slow and inefficient, let's hand it over to the private sector and make it much more innovative <laughs> and it'll be cheaper in the long run. Yeah. And now you look at the prices you pay to drive to get trains around England and think something went badly wrong there. It did, yeah. Exactly. All right. So, uh, so I, I, I love the point. Maybe this is the point to finish on the idea that the objective really is how can we maximize? And this is, you know, this is as far from conventional economics as you can get. Isn't the objective to try and maximize the capability of the people who live in our country? And that's what we should be trying to aim for. That is indeed the case. Well, I'm sure many uh, economists would argue that that is what they're striving for as well, which is why they're putting all these measures in place. But your point is that uh, uh, that is taking away the ability to innovate. So uh, what the government spends is ultimately wasted. A good point. Good to talk, Steve. Okay, mate. Bye.
And it's interesting how in the news this week, there's a lot of talk about uh, uh, foreigners who are coming to uh, to this country, to the UK, and visiting the NHS, uh, the health tourism, and how much uh, it's wasting of NHS funds and why they should have to pay for that, pay in advance. Well, 0.3% of NHS funds is being spent on the, on those people. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's hardly a big issue. The bigger issue is the NHS doesn't have enough money in total. So I think that might be the sort of thing that, uh, that Steve is talking about. And... Uh, John Seddon's book, The Whitehall Effect, is a good read on all of this as well, on how the public sector is being ruined by the bureaucracy that's placed on it by the, the government. So the takeout from this, in the, in the words of Steve, if you monitor everything, you lose the ability to innovate. So uh, that government spending is wasted. Uh, obviously important to have the money there, but we shouldn't treat it exactly as a company would, because uh, a company wouldn't run the NHS by itself. A company wouldn't have put man on the moon. And a lot of inventions that we rely on today uh, wouldn't have come out of a company. They've come out of, originally, from government spending, government uh, investment in research. So there needs to be a fluidity about how funds are allocated. And it's, of course, still a, a big question of where you draw the line, of course. But maybe common sense is the answer and a focus on helping people achieve, as Steve said, rather than some sort of fiscal measure, uh, which seems to be the focus of most governments. That's the Debunking Economics podcast. DebunkingEconomics.com is where you can find us. Till next time, I'm Phil Dobby. We'll see you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.